This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 214. I have two shows that are going out live today, 214 and 215, and the reason is is because I'm interviewing two builders, but one is based in Canada and the other is based in Australia. And for people who live in different places, who are interested in building and renovating for different climates, I thought it'd be really good to have a take on conscious uh, eco-builds from builders doing it in very different uh, places around the world. Uh, so I hope you enjoy whichever show is more relevant to you. I think both are really worth listening to regardless. Uh, and today's guest is Casey Gray. And so uh, growing up, I love this story. He was always building, he was building Legos, building tree forts. Uh, from his dad, he says he learned the importance of team, teamwork and competitive team sports. And from his mum, the value of hard work and dedication uh, as he watched her grow and eventually sell her business. And uh, Casey started in the construction uh, industry at the age of 17 um, and sort of, you know, started his own construction company a few years later, just like any other construction company. And his wife, Natasha, uh, ended up attending a Tony Robbins event in 2012, uh, where they ended up deciding to ask themselves the all important question of why, why this building company, what makes it so special? Uh, why are we doing this? Is it aligned with our values? And, uh, you know, one of those awakenings as, as many of us good humans have, uh, wanted to fulfill a, a greater sense of purpose to do something bigger than himself with this business. So the conscious builder was born. It's based in Ontario, Canada. So lucky you Canadians, uh, if, um, you're considering renovating or building a house anytime soon, you know where to go. Uh, and um, it's all about making conscious decisions. So really being aware of how every decision we make, especially in something as big as constructing or renovating. Uh, you would remember from my uh, interview with Teresa Cody, uh, who is a, a huge um, name in the construction field in North America, that uh, the construction industry is responsible for 25% of the landfill from 1970 onwards. So there is a huge impact and we can do so much to ensure a, a minimised impact and even a more useful impact if we start to use materials that can be factored into cycles of life and nature. And so uh, it's always such a pleasure to connect with people who are doing this across various industries and an absolute delight to chat to Casey today. Before I kick into our conversation, I just wanted to remind you, you literally have today as your last day, so hopefully you're listening on publication day, to grab free shipping on the Mother SPF sunscreen uh, and uh, give it a go. It has firmly made its place in my top three sunscreens and uh, we love the texture, beautiful on, and anyone who's been buying sunscreens in the low-tox space for uh, more than, say, five years, you will remember the time of very thick, greasy oil slicks that never quite sink into the skin. So you look a pasty kind of pale, uh, oily white on a beach, always so attractive. Uh, And I'm just so grateful to companies like Mother SPF who've really radically uh, pushed the envelope when it comes to green chemistry on how to achieve a much more beautiful texture without... Uh, sacrificing any protection. Uh, So Mother SPF, absolutely worth checking out. Your code is LOTOXSHIPPING and it's motherspf.com. Go check it out. 
Uh, I want to say a big welcome to all of our new Lotox Club members. There have been quite a few of you over the past couple of weeks. And uh, I'm excited to continue doing the work that we do there, uh, welcoming new members all the time. You get 50% off all of our Lotox e-courses um, when you join the Lotox Club. Uh, you get special interviews that are more Q&A style from sort of uh, club-powered questions, especially when a guest does a show and then there are just so many more questions. I often bring them back in for the club members to ask a whole bunch more. Um, coming to mind right now is the show I did with Eric Bolkavage uh, on the thyroid and uh, he recorded an extra hour and 15 specifically speaking to club member questions uh, and answering all sorts of things on the thyroid. So that's just a little taste of the things that you can expect as a club member as well as a beautiful private supportive community to ask questions, interact and uh, and not be uh bothered by strangers that you don't know on the internet or trolls coming in and ruining the vibe. It's a really gorgeous place to hang out. It's $49 Australian a year. So that's about 30 US, 29 euro. And, uh, it's a, I think a beautiful place to be. And I'm pretty sure our club members would vouch for that too. So to come join us there, you just hit the, um, explore tab on lotoxlife.com and it's the very first drop down. So I'll see you in the club and I look forward to hearing how you enjoyed this chat with Casey Gray, the conscious builder. Hello, Casey. How are you? I am doing very good. That's good. I'm excited about this chat. Our community is so hungry for learning more about healthy buildings, how we can make that work with the building we might already own and we need to change some things when we're renovating uh, or with full builds. And I know you guys support your clients with both. So it's going to be great to talk to you. I really also love that we have a North American guest here from Canada uh, specialized in this because we have a local guest joining us on the show uh, coming up as well. And I think it's just going to mean that everybody feels like, oh, okay, I know what to do in my climate. I know what my next steps are. But as we were talking about just before we went and hit record, you talked about those um, cold, dry winters in Canada and hot, humid summers. We need to build houses that work for all seasons. And that's something I'm really interested to talk to you about today. So before we kick in, what's your story? Why building? Why? How did that become a passion for you and a career choice? Well, building became a passion just because that was what I was good at in high school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go back yep. to it. Like I went through high school thinking I was going to become an engineer because I thought engineers built stuff. And then I, you know, in grade, I'm pretty sure it was like grade 12, I realized that I could become a carpenter and actually just instead of going to university, I could learn on the job essentially and get paid and work with my hands. And that was my best class by far. So as soon as I found that out, basically all my other marks in high school dropped to like just pass, passing grades. Cause I'm like, well, I'm not going to university anymore. So what's the point of wasting my time here? <laughs> right? So 17 and, and that was, that was it. Like I, I, nobody in my family was really in construction. I, went right into an apprenticeship at 17, started running jobs, found one company. I turned down a couple of jobs. I didn't want to work for a big company. I wanted to work for a small renovation company. I don't even remember why, but I knew that I didn't want to just be like pushing the broom. Like I wanted to learn. Yeah. And I found a great company. You and learn we in did... small business. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other story. I can get into yeah. that too. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I worked for one company for almost seven years, was always doing side jobs, went off my own and it's been over 10 years uh, ever since. So, and the, the company's obviously evolved, uh, as I've evolved as a, as a human as well. So it's been nothing short of a journey. That's for sure. I can imagine. And so talk to me about that evolution, because it's often, we start thinking we're going to do one thing and you think about one set of values that you want to adhere to align to, and maybe that's, you know, financial security, uh, like time for my family, those basic values. And then you find out that sometimes what we do and choose to do could hurt the planet. And then that value that you thought you had about being a good citizen and caring for the planet 
can sometimes get turned on its head when you realize the work you do. And I've had this from students who've done our low tox course who work for big like FMCG supermarket brands and they go, oh my gosh, the amount of sugar in this bar is really not helping <laughs> drive health forward. And I'm really passionate about that. And you can have these dissonance inside your own body and mind. How did that play out for you? And, and how did you kind of manage the process of waking up to stuff? Yeah, I think, well, with most people, like the beginning stages is always becoming aware, mm-hmm. right? At, at first I wasn't aware. I was just young guy in my twenties, good at construction, wanted to go out make some money, you know, obviously wanted to do a good job, was building a reputation for myself. And that, that was the beginning, you know, uh, that's most people, most young guys, they just want to go out, make some money, have a good time and, and do a good job. Right. That was, I was obviously did my work with integrity, but I wasn't thinking about the environment. I wasn't thinking about my health. I was just thinking about doing good work and making money and growing a business. That was essentially my focus. And it wasn't until I remember I bought a a book for my wife. Now, uh, we've been together 15 years, actually we'll be celebrating eight years in a few days of being married, but we've been together awesome. over 15 years. Me and, yeah. my, me and my hubby as well. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. So we've grown together. That's for sure. We've helped mm. each other. Um, but yeah, I, I bought her a book. I don't even know why I bought her the book, but I bought her the success principles by Jack Hanfield. Mm. And in that book, he talked about Tony Robbins and Natasha, when she read it, I didn't read it at the time. She's like, oh, Tony Robbins. I remember seeing his infomercials when I was at my grandparents when I was a kid. So she looked them up (laughs) and uh, found some program that he was doing called Unleash the Power Within. And she's like, hey, do you want to go to a seminar? And I was like, sure. You know, typical guy didn't ask any questions. I said, yeah, I'll go, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) No idea what I was walking into. And have you been to a Tony Robbins event before? Do you know, I haven't. The dates have never quite worked. And it is always something I've wanted to tick off my bucket list. So uh, you fill us in. in. Yeah. So while I highly recommend, I can't do it any any justice. So I know he's been doing virtual programs lately. But if live programs do start up again, I would highly recommend it. I'm sure that won't happen for a little while. But the next thing I know, I go to this event. The next thing I know, I'm jumping up and down and and high-fiving people. And uh, he keeps everyone awake. I'm massaging this big black guy's shoulders beside me, like things I would have never thought I would do. It was hilarious. And uh, it was like life-changing, right? And we came out of that on a high. And But that was what kicked off the whole consciousness, like being aware and what are we doing? Why are we doing it? What are we putting into our body? Why are we doing the work that we do? Uh, what's the life that we want to lead? Like all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have decisions. We can control this stuff. And I remember when I was going through my apprenticeship, one of the best carpenters I've ever known said something. And at the time it was funny. I didn't really think about it. He said, oh, I'm just a product of my environment. It's not my fault. And now I'm like, that's the most deep thing that he's probably ever, he had probably ever said to me because it's the truth. Right. And I was a product of my environment at that case. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, well, if I'm a product of my environment, I need to control the environment that I'm putting myself into. Right. And that's where it went. And then where we, so we started, like, we went like raw vegan. We, uh, we, not too long after that, we stopped drinking. We didn't drink for almost five years. Like we didn't have any necessarily problems, but I was, you know, putting on weight cause I was more running the business as opposed to swinging a hammer and I didn't change my eating habits. Right. So things, you know, I was putting on weight and, and then everything started to change from there. And not long after that, we found out that we were having our first and what ended up being our only child. And then that's when my mindset really shifted on the business side is, all right, if I'm going to tell this little guy that he can be and do whatever he wants, I have to do the same thing. And I started thinking about, that's when I really started thinking about what I was going to be leaving behind for him beyond just the health of my body, but the health of the planet the, and what he has the ability or what he's going to be growing up to see, right? We are his environment at the beginning for sure. So that was kind of those two events kickstarted everything. Amazing. And uh, I have an only child son as well. And uh, um, I think that there's something about uh, the awakening. I see a pattern where the majority of people wake up, not necessarily millennials, they seem to be waking up much earlier by a product of necessity probably. Um, but 
anyone who's a parent, it's often when you finally have that baby in your arms, the overwhelming wash of responsibility that comes over you, uh, not just for keeping them alive, but everything, as you've said, like you open your eyes much wider than ever before and you think, what is this world I've brought you into? How can I make it better? So many people have that light bulb go off in that, that awakening of becoming a parent. Yeah. I always tell people he's, he's my greatest teacher by far mm. because he does what I do, not what I say. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then doesn't that just give you the shit sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, that's that bad, bad habit I need to work daddy. on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny. So let's talk a bit about, um, some of the different philosophies of building and construction uh, that you started to look into once you brought that planet care perspective into view. Yeah. So we ended up, I'm kind of go big or go home. <laughs> so we ended up going to, we, we basically kickstarted our conscious building career, let's say as with a passive house. So a certified mm -hmm. passive house. So I don't know how, are you familiar with? Yes, absolutely. That, that and we've talked about it on the show before. It's fascinating. Okay. Mm. So yeah, we, we did that. So we kicked it off. That would have been seven years ago because I remember we, we bought that lot and we have a picture of Natasha with, you know, her belly out to here with mm. self in, in there. Right. So we bought that lot. Basically, I don't, know how we did it. Well, we were building a house, you know, the baby had the baby and then building a house at the same time and business and everything else that was happening. Uh, but yeah, we went, we kind of went all out and went the passive house. And since then we kind of just been growing ever since because passive house, if you've talked about on the show, so if there's anybody new listening, oh, yes, uh, it please. focuses. No, definitely yeah. revision is required always. Yeah. So yeah, it focuses on the, the energy consumption. So passive, they don't really care about the products that you're putting into your house in the mm. sense of where they're coming from and how far they're traveling and all that, not like lead certification type stuff, but they care about how well the house performs. But typically people who are going to that extreme are also thinking of those other things as yeah. well. Right. And passive house though does focus on air tightness and that is a key to having good air indoor air quality because you want to mechanically ventilate a home. Mm -hmm. So we can get into a lot of those details. I know you might want to go yes, through some indoor air yeah. quality, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know if you want me to dive into that right now or Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, All for right. sure. So, so yeah, we went that route. So the, at the end of the day, so where we're building here is we have both extremes. So Canada, Canada has a little bit of a range of, of temperatures, but you know, obviously we all go below freezing and depending on where you are, it's more humidity, less humidity, that sort of thing. Where we are here in Ottawa, we have hot, humid summers and cold, dry winters. And so we have to think of both extremes. So our house for the certification, we ended up having to get our 100 in the attic are actually might've been more than that. Uh, yeah, I think it was R120 in the attic. We had R73 and a half in the walls. We had R30 under the slab. And we had the big thing with passive house is you have to get an air tightness of 0 0.6 air changers per hour or less. And that is like to, to calculate air changes per hour. That's when you put the big blower door test on the big blower door on the front door, or any door that you can put it on. And you do a, you basically suck air into the house and you blow air out of the house. And then you do an average of the two and it, it's at 50 kilopascals. So it's simulating 50 kilometer an hour winds on all four sides of your home. And that, then that tells you how much air leakage you have. We ended up getting 0.54, I think for that house, which was really good for our first time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and can you just talk us through, because there will be people who've never heard our, such and such are uh, such and such. So what is that? And what, why is it different in different parts of the home? So that would be like the, the amount of insulation mm -hmm. you would have. So how thick your wall is. So typical to give you an idea, like, uh, do you, how do you frame how, like, do you frame houses there? Like with two by six or do you concrete? Like, how do you build? A bit of a mix. It's actually really okay. quite mixed. Yeah. So would it be like a two by six wall mm -hmm. if you yeah. framed it? So if you have a two by six, we have five and a half inches, like in a nominal two by six, it gets milled down. That 
bat insulation that would go inside of that would be R22 to 24, depending on what you put it in. So that's kind of like gotcha. minimum building code here where we are. Mm-hmm. We had to do R72 or R73 and a half to give you an idea. We've done other passive homes now for other architects. And the most we've gone is about R92, I believe. Because wow. it, it, it depends on orientation. It depends on shading and sun and so forth. Hence the passive portion. And I did a whole talk. We have a video of like, living in a passive house for four years, you know, theory versus reality and what worked and what didn't work and that sort of thing. That's like an hour long presentation. I'll pop that in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a little dry. It was for a bunch of engineers actually (laughs) that I gave that presentation (laughs) for. Make sure you bring chocolate or wine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, so that gives you an idea of like how much insulation. But the thing is, is that a big part of building a comfortable home is not necessarily the insulation between the studs is ideally you want to have a like a jacket around the whole house so you want to have what's called continuous insulation on the exterior because every stud is a thermal break right so any material that can conduct heat or cold will bring that from outside to inside or vice versa so steel is really bad right so if you have a steel stud that goes from the outside of the house to the inside of the house and it's minus 25 out that's going to conduct it right through so you want to protect that steel from getting cold or hot in the in the summer right so that that's a big part so obviously we had exterior insulation but we kind of had a double stud wall and once again i can do a whole presentation just on that (laughs) Mm. but that gives an idea of what we got into um now the like i said the big thing which is really important with building high performance homes is the air tightness and a lot of people think that their house needs to breathe, right? So they, they don't want it to be airtight. And to some extent, that's true. Uh, you want it to breathe, but you don't want it to breathe through your walls. So think of your walls as the skin, gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? So think of your walls as your skin. You want your skin to be able to be permeable. So sweat comes through your skin, but air doesn't go through it, right? You don't mm. breathe through your skin, you breathe through your lungs. So you want to control where the breathing happens. Exactly. Mm. Just like when you breathe through your nose, your nose preconditions the air as it goes into your lungs and it filters the air as it goes into your lungs. And when you breathe it out, it does. So, so that's exactly what you want to do is you want to make your home as airtight as possible and then put that mechanical ventilation system in to control the air as it comes and, le- comes and goes through your through your the system into your home. And as it what it what it does, so we use an ERV. There's HRVs, which stand for heat recovery ventilator, and there's ERVs, which most people think stand for energy recovery ventilators, but they're actually enthalpy recovery ventilators. And enthalpy is essentially tr- the transfer of moisture. So the difference between the two lands in the core. I'm not 100 percent sure what the, the core of the ERV is made out of, but it has the ability to transfer humidity. Whereas wow. an HRV is an aluminum core and it can't. Mm-hmm. So in our climate, there is a lot of people who would not agree with me, but I've had this conversation a lot with energy building scientists as well, is now they, they've figured out how to do ERVs so the cores don't freeze in our climate. So ERVs are the best way to go because like I said, we have hot, humid summers and cold, dry winters. So typically we, want, we don't want that humidity from outside coming in in the summer and we don't want the dryness. We want to keep the humidity in the winter because it gets too dry, depending on how many people are living in the house. Um, and then that it gets balanced and it, and it controls throughout your whole house. So instead of, you know, if you have bathroom fans or kitchen range hoods or something like that, just if you think about it, every time you turn one of those fans on, it's blowing air. So it's sucking air out of your house and blowing it outside. But in order to do that, it needs to bring air back into the house somewhere. So where is it going to do that? It's going to do it through all the leaky holes in your house. And if you have mold or you have uh bad insulation that maybe has asbestos in it or just fire retardants, whatever. It's sucking that into your house. So you think it's ventilating your house, but it could actually be making it worse. Mm. Whereas if you balance it- Bringing in environmental toxins. Exactly. Yeah. Especially if you live in the city, right? So if you Mm. live in the city and there's lots of traffic, an ERV or an HRV would be better because it has a filter built into it. So not only is it preconditioning the air that's coming in with the air that's leaving, it's also filtering the air before it comes into your house. Mm Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So now you have better indoor air quality and we all, I think the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA did a study and on average we spend like 93 or 94% of our time indoors, right? Either Mm -hmm. we're in buildings 
uh, at work, which for the most part now we're all at home, but in home or in vehicles or some sort of transportation, right? They're, the majority of us are inside the majority of our lives, mm. right? And that's where we want to have, and that's the air we're breathing in. Yeah. So having that filtered air is, is probably one of the best things you can do for your health. Amazing. And is that something that you can fit to an existing house as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the, the, the best way to install those systems is to have its own dedicated duct system mm -hmm. if you're able to do that. So obviously that gets expensive if you have to start opening walls and running ducts. So the way you would typically set it up is you would have all of your wet rooms to have exhaust. So that would be like, because you have to balance the system, right? So you have mm. to have similar amount of exhaust and fresh air. So bathrooms, kitchens, maybe your mud room, front door, like those rooms would be exhaust. So when you hit a booster switch, which your bathroom would have a booster switch instead of a bathroom fan, the whole system comes on and it sucks air from all those rooms. And then it actually pushes fresh air into bedrooms and family rooms and living room, dining room, all the other rooms. Mm. But if you can't do that, you can do more of a simplified system where you could use the ductwork of your furnace that's already there. If mm -hmm. you have, if, if that's how you heat and cool your house. Uh, so that, that's it. It's not as efficient because it's not using the right size ductwork, but at least it's still kind of flowing air into your space and filtering it. Yeah. And it's sort of good to know that you can at least do something if you've already got a house and you want to improve, um, that breathability and control it, as you say, through the right channels. Um, so obviously passive house was a huge awakening for you. Where did you find out about it? Was it just starting to do research and, um, did, or did you have a mentor that you kind of turned to, to see you through that process? Yeah. Well, I remember there's a guy named Chris Straka who I've become good friends with that he had done a presentation that I saw him do for the greater Ottawa home builders association here. And at the time I just thought it was really cool. It just made sense. Like he was mm -hmm. doing this presentation. I'm like, that just makes sense to wait. And then, and then after when I made the connections and we started doing all these changes, that's just who I reached out to. And then mm -hmm. we ended up hiring him. And since then, like we've, we work together right now, we're working together on three projects. And like I said, we became good friends, but I, I learned, like I said, I didn't go to university because I, that's not the way I like to learn. I like to just go out and do things. So I, I learned, although I learned a lot from him, I also learned a lot from the energy advisor, Stefan at the time, who I've also become good friends with. And, uh, I learn kind of on the site, right? I don't need to know how to do all the calculations that Stefan does. I don't need to learn to know how to design the wall like Chris does, but all three of us need to work together because ultimately we're the ones who are building it. So we need to talk through what I know is a better way to build it for constructability reasons might not be necessarily the way Chris would draw it, but he needs to draw something that's going to look good at the end mm -hmm. of the day too, right? Yeah. So, and then Stefan needs to tell us how much insulation we need. And, and, and then, so the three of us would work together and figure out those details and we continue to do that. So I always tell people when they're designing or renovating a house, there's three people you need to hire on and that's your architect or designer, uh, your builder and your energy advisor. And you need to bring them on as early as possible and do what's called an integrated design process or IDP for short. And that's the only way like these jobs who go out and they hire somebody and they get a plan and then they go out and they bid it around. You're not going to end up with the best product. Sorry. Sure. You might end up with a, a good price, but you're not going to get the best value for your dollar in my mm. opinion. Yeah. So true. And I have uh, friends and family who over the years, as I've started to learn about, we call it building biology here, building science. And, um, and uh, they kind of have that energy um, piece in their training. And I'm like, oh, have you got a building biologist? Do you want one? And it's just not quite known enough yet for people to realise just how seminal that figure is going to be to the health of their, their, their home as, as everybody grows into it and um, as the years go on. And you just see these devastating, it's kind of like, you know, we build homes like iPhones and then two years later there's already problems and, oh, that's okay because we've got the building insurance still. We're just like, no, we shouldn't be designing like that in the first place. Yeah, um, exactly. Mm. And so um, your energy advisor, uh, what kind of um, networks can people search in North America to find that, uh, that person for their team? Well, I think Google's our best friend when it comes to these things, right? If you just search, like here, it's an energy advisor, building scientist. The, there, there's a lot of them around here. 
Uh, there's some that are better than others. So it depends on what you're going for. Like ultimately the, there are a couple of people that we work with have experience in passive side of things, right? So there's somebody who can just do a, they come in and they'll do like a, a home evaluation, home energy evaluation for the home. They don't necessarily know how to model a home and work with the the right software when they're getting to the design process. Sure, they can come in, they can do the blower door test and they can fill in the blanks, but that's very different than somebody who's actually been working on designing and taking courses to understand building science, right? Because when you make your wall, in our case, you know, our 73 and a half, like that wall was 20 inches thick before we put our masonry on the outside. So if you have a 24 inch thick wall, you need to understand how moisture is going to travel through that wall. You need to build it, especially because we built it with wood, you need to build it in a way that allows it to dry, right? You can't have water. You have to, you just have to assume that water will get into that wall assembly at some point and you have to make sure that it has the ability to dry, right? If somebody, if they don't understand that or if they're not doing the calculations or software that will actually figure out the dew point in walls too, you need somebody that understands that stuff because like you said, maybe these would be issues that you don't know in two years. These could be issues that you know in 20 years because your wall could have moisture issues and then all of a sudden you're like, why is it smell in here or mm. why is it soft on the floor right here right yeah so th- those so, are the issues that's such a big aha um it, it, Casey like for me it's we have to design so we know that the wall is going to be able to dry itself it's not that it's never going to get wet in the design because that's impossible but it's that mm-hmm. it knows how it can effectively dry out easily and quickly. yeah so like just think of your cl- climate like if you have that hot humid day Mm. and it like say it rains right and the wall gets wet and then the Mm. sun comes out and it's beating on that wall just the way it works it's going to drive that water into the wall right Mm. so where's that water going to go it will some of it will evaporate but it has to have the ability to dry yeah and do you feel like uh dehumidification is important inside a home on days like that as well so we can assist yeah but the from the if inside? you have an air conditioner installed, then you should be good, yeah, right? Okay. So if you, I think controlling humidity is extremely important. And, and especially if you're building with natural products, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for indoor, like obviously it's nice to have the windows open and get fresh air and stuff, but uh, it's not necessarily good if you have hardwood floors throughout your mm-hmm. house. So that's, especially if you want, if you're worried about warranty issues, if you, your humidity goes too high in your house and your hardwood starts to cup, you're not going to get a new hardwood. You're going to have to live with that because the the hardwood installer will probably say you have to maintain a certain humidity. But main, the humidity they want versus the humidity that's probably comfortable and healthy in a home is lower. But anyways, you'll, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll be fine. They're, the, they're kind of protecting their behinds, right? So Yeah, that's the nature of hardwood. It has a mind of its own really, doesn't it? Um, okay. So uh, questions that we often get are about renovating. So it's not necessarily that everybody is just going to be able to build a house from scratch and buy a piece of land, but how do we improve the houses we have? What do you see as being some of the biggest uh, returns on investment we can have in terms of the decisions we make to, to renovate for the better of our homes? Yeah, so the first thing I would start with is that the home that is already built is often the most sustainable home. So uh, I think renovations is a, is a great way to go and it maybe you won't make it as good as if you built a brand new home, but that doesn't mean that it's not good for the environment or that you can't make it more comfortable and healthier and so forth. So I'll start off also with the biggest mistake that people do is they start with the low hanging fruit, which will end up, which is short-sighted. They, and usually because they don't get it because an energy advisor that kind of just does their modeling comes in, they do the test at least around here. And they say, oh, well, you'll get, uh, if you change your furnace, your house will be this much more efficient. If you change your windows, you do this. If you add insulation, it'll be that much more. And they kind of look at, oh, well, the furnace is the most, is the cheapest thing. And I'll get my house to become more efficient with that one thing. And then they'll do the windows after. And then they probably never even do exterior insulation or add insulation or anything like that. So the first thing is to understand is to get somebody to come in and do it, model your home, but understand where the leakages are, understand what's bad. But if you're, if you're planning on improving the envelope, so meaning adding insulation or making it more airtight or changing your windows, you need to do all of those things first before you change your heating and cooling system. Because what happens is that 
most HVAC companies, I'm assuming you call them HVAC companies there, heating, ventilation. Yeah. So <laughs> most HVAC companies, a lot of them don't understand this either, right? They've just been trained in a certain way. Some of them have been doing it for so long and they haven't really caught up uh, to the building science that we know now. So they'll come in and say, well, your house is this big and it probably is this leaky. So you need a size, a furnace or heating system, whatever you're using to heat it and an air conditioner this size. And they just say, but they don't actually model it, right? So Whereas if you had an energy modeler come in and do it, then you could say, look, this is the, my heating load and this is my cooling load. Give me the right system for this. Because if it's too large, it's not efficient. And what happens is that it does something called short cycling. And it doesn't, so short cycling would be if, you, if your furnace comes on, say your thermostat's set to 22 degrees, it hits 22, the furnace, or hits 21, the furnace comes on and their, their thermostat's in the middle of the house and it gets to 22, but in like 10 minutes. It didn't have time to precondition the ductwork to the rest of the house, and it didn't actually get any heat up there. So your farthest room might be cold, but the middle of the house is warm. Whereas if it was sized properly, it would take longer to heat up, but it would, it would disperse the heat better, right? So it would be a more comfortable home. And, in theory, and actually, it ends up being more efficient because what happens when you're cold in rooms, you go turn the thermostat up. Right. So maybe you turn it up to 24 because your bedroom's only getting up to 20. Yeah. <laughs> or and then maybe. different humidity in different rooms can encourage um, issues of mold growth as well. So that's, Ex- yeah. Exactly. So you want the air circulating more ultimately. Mm. So that's why. So the first step is to, is to kind of have that energy model, but then plan your project properly, right? Hire your builder, hire your architect. Uh, and hire your energy advisor to work together and figure out how you're going to do it. You don't have to do it all at once, but phase it properly. If you do plan on adding insulation and making it more airtight, then start with that. Like do your windows and then do that and then change your heating and cooling system, right? Just do it in the right order. Maybe you have to wait because you have to save up a little bit. But at the end of the day, once again, you'll end up with a better product. And what we're always aiming for is we're not necessarily aiming for efficiency we're aiming for comfort if you have a comfortable home by default you will have an efficient home so we're always we're always doing things that will make the home more comfortable instead of trying to save more energy because we know that when we make it more comfortable people will be more happy in this space which will be more sustainable and it will be more efficient anyways yeah great points excellent um and in terms of materials earlier on you spoke about how uh, you kind of had to add that piece of then starting to care about the materials and where they came from and how far they traveled, because that's one part of things that you didn't get from, um, the passive house, uh, philosophy and, um, techniques like that's a minefield unto itself, right? It's just Mm -hmm. feels like you're opening up Pandora's box when you start talking about building materials from flooring to, (laughs) walls and paints and all the different things. Can we talk a little bit about that and some tips that you have for people, um, you know, maybe they're adding on a level, a parent's retreat upstairs or building from scratch. What are some of the most important things to consider when you're considering those materials? Uh, well, I guess it depends, right? To some people, like budgets, the budget is the budget, right? Yeah. If you have to work within yeah. your budget, unfortunately, the the healthier, the more sustainable options are often more expensive, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? So if that's important to you, then you'll find the money that people always do, right? So you can there you can go to the big box store and get whatever comes from China, which is further for us than for you. <laughs> but uh, or you can um, go to your local supplier and find somebody that milled the wood locally. Like here, the Ottawa River used to be a, a big logging industry, right? So all the logs would come down the Ottawa River. Uh, so what happened during that era is that a lot of the logs sank. They got waterlogged and they just sank. So there's a company here called Logs End that will pull those those logs out and make wood out of them, right? So we had reclaimed pine floors through our floor or through our house. It's not this house. We sold the house a couple of years ago, and that was the floor. I was lucky where. My mom, who lived in Vermont, who is about a four and a half hour drive away, had a bunch of butternut trees that they had taken down on their property. So we made all of our trim out of that out of that tree. Not everybody can do that, right? So those are a couple things that we could do. Um, but then there's also uh, 
plywoods, right? You're going to want to look into glues uh, for like formaldehyde, right? That which is big in plywood. So making sure that you choose the right plywoods for your cabinetry. And if you want, you know, obviously counters, everyone likes granite countertops, but depending on where the granite's coming from, um, there's sometimes other options. We went with concrete. Concrete's not the greatest for carbon footprint, um, but if you're just doing a counter out of it, not a huge deal. And the guy who does it actually was local, right? So he was doing that all locally and he could make whatever you want. You could put recycled glass in it if you want, you, like rocks, you can, he'll make whatever you want, any color you want. Uh, so those are some options, right? And um, there's, there's, uh, obviously it's easy now, it's easier now to go for like low VOC or no VOC products. So just looking for those, but also be weary of kind of the greenwashing that's out there, right? Just oh, because yeah. there's a picture of a, a globe on it. I'm sure you talk about this a lot and you probably <laughs> oh, you know a sure lot do. about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's all natural. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Whatever that means. Mm. So, uh, so just, just go back to that, like, question that my son has taught me so well is why. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> right? so right? what, yeah. what, what does that mean? Right. How many times a day do I hear that? Now you say something is like, what does that mean? Like we mm. forget, like you, you get annoyed with that question, but it's, it's a really good question. If you don't understand it or you don't really know what it means and ask, mm. look into it. Right. So, um, we just, I think it's easier to look the other way <laughs> sometimes. Right. It's like, Oh, it's got this label. Yeah. It must be good. Mm. But then somebody will ask you about it. I'm like, I don't, I don't really know what it means, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's often just the story we want to tell ourselves about who we are. And so exactly. you think, oh, you know, that's great. I'm sure that's good because they've said that it's sustainable. And so, um, and I'm a sustainable person, so I'm good with that. <laughs> but often yeah. the story is a little bit deeper under the surface. I totally agree. Question, uh, curious about concrete, and I know about the carbon footprint aspects of that. But do you then take into account also the longevity of the materials? So how long something is going to last compared to like a different type of surface that might be better carbon footprint, but not last as long and those way ups that then have to be made? Yeah, I guess it depends on what you're trying, how long you're going to push that out, mm. right? So uh, wood here is in abundance, right? So it's it's nice. Wood is nice because it's like sequestering carbon, right? The tree grows. It takes in a lot of that carbon. As long as you don't burn it, you can put it into a house or something and it and it actually help the environment because then new trees grow again, right? If you mm. do sustainable forestry. Yeah. Uh, now, if you build properly, wood structures will last well over 100 years, right? Oh, so it depends absolutely. on how, yeah. how well... You, you plan on building something for 400 years, well, then you might want to go to stone and, and concrete. But even concrete won't necessarily last that long if it's not done properly. So there's uh, the Endeavor Center uh, is, a, is a center. They do a lot of training here. But the founder of that has something called a carbon calculator. So a carbon, yeah, carbon calculator. And you can put in the materials for your whole house within this. He's still in beta stages, but you can put in like how much concrete you're going to use and how much wood you're going to use and that, like for all the different products. And it'll give you what your carbon footprint is at the end of it. Uh, concrete and petroleum-based products like foam blow it out of the water. If you can eliminate or reduce, it's hard to eliminate those, like especially here we need concrete foundations. It's If you can eliminate or reduce those things, your your carbon footprint will be 10 times better. So uh, I don't have an example. Like if, when you play around with it, you can see how, how much better it can be. But uh, those are the two biggest things that we try to eliminate. But to some extent, we have to use them. And for insulation, sometimes those petroleum-based products are the best insulation. I don't like using them inside a house. But they're that like that jacket I was talking about, the continuous insulation on the outside it's really beneficial for that, for that and can be cost effective. Uh, so it depends on once again, the budget of whoever's building and what their values are, right? Is it worth spending the extra money on the insulation that's better for the environment? But unfortunately the stuff that's better than the environment doesn't perform as good as the foam either. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, I know so many way ups and, uh, in terms of, um, the petroleum based products, are you seeing more reclaimed, plastics and petroleum-based materials, virgin materials being used in a recycled capacity in home building? Uh, 
Well, not really. Doesn't look like I, it. I haven't. <laughs> yeah. Like I, like I just had a, a piece of poly that was in my garage left over from a project and I looked at it and it says it's made from recycled materials. Mm. So I think a lot of people are doing it because it just makes sense for their yeah. business as well, which is good. So I think there is a lot of people that are reusing plastics and, and doing that. Uh, so, and we have like all of our bins that we have for our jobs go through, they get sorted and recycled at the plant. Now, to be fair, I can't say I've followed the bin and watched them sort it and make sure it gets recycled, mm. but they do send us reports. So hopefully that they're actually doing it. And I, you know, that's one of those things where you hope that somebody else is doing that. Part in the, that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. So we can't, we can't control everything, right? We can do the best that we can with what we know and what we have. And that's all that we do. And that's what we, that's a, kind of our, how we help homeowners, right? At the end of the day, the reason why we ended up calling it the conscious builder as we evolved, is because I'm not going to say that there's a right and a wrong way to build because it's different for everybody. Mm. I see our role is just saying like, look, here's the information based on what you want to do. Here's all the information and all the options. Now you can make a conscious decision. Yeah. And that's, that's really, if we all just did that and started to accept the imperfections of trying better, uh, then I think we'd all be a lot kinder to each other too. Yeah. And be mm. easy on ourselves too. We're just, it's not going to be perfect, right? It's, it's, it is, it is what it is, but if we can get a little bit better every single day, then that's going to help. And technology and new things are, are make are making things better for us as well every single yeah. day. Hundred percent. Something I've always been curious about, uh, Casey, and when you know when you drive past a, a development, like a whole bunch of houses going up at the same time, and often you see, I don't know what that wood is. It looks pretty cheap. Uh, maybe it's pine. Like the structure, the frame of the house, kind of there. They've gotten that far, but then you also see that it's been raining all weekend on that structure, and it's not covered or anything. They haven't started to build the walls around it. Like I always think, so are these wet pieces of wood now going to be, you know, inside the house from the get-go? What's up with that? Like why aren't we tarping those frames when, um, when there's rain? Yeah, that would be difficult. So th this is where making sure your wall can dry comes into play, gotcha. right? So, so wood can get wet. Mm -hmm. Wood can get wet and get dry and get wet and get dry and last forever. Like all the old houses around here, leaky houses, they've like water's been coming in, probably moisture's been leaving the house. But the reason why they last so long is because the the wood has the, had the ability to dry. I, I rarely, actually, I could probably say I've never ran into an issue on a hundred year old house with moldy, rotten wood other than at a location where the wood wasn't able to dry. Like maybe it was sitting on a wet spot in the foundation or something like that. Because what happens with these old leaky houses, especially in the winter, is that there's so much heat loss, it just dries everything all the time, right? So, so wood will last if it has the ability to go through that cycle. It's, it's, it's fine for that. It's only when it continues to stay wet uh, that, it can, that it'll, it'll rot out and, and be moldy. So as long as that wall that's built gets finished in a way that allows that moisture to, so that wall is permeable, then you shouldn't have any issues. That's usually when you have like nail pops and that sort of stuff because the wood shrunk, wood will do that, right? It got wet, you, you insulated it, you did everything, you kind of dried it all out uh, and it shrunk and then things start to shift a little bit and it popped. Um, but that that's normal. Uh, once again, as long as it dried out, there wouldn't be any issues. To tarp something like that, that'd be pretty costly, right? Which just drives up the price of the home and people can't afford it. Then there's all this affordability issues. Um, but this is where there's a lot of people pushing for prefabrication, right? So that could be modular or that could be just prefab walls that show up and you drop them into place. And there's less time for that wall to be out in the weather. So I love the concept of prefab. It just, in my mind, it only makes sense for big developments or where you're building the same house over and over again. For what we do in custom, we've worked through prefab options before. It just, we've never been able to find a way that made sense financially mm. to do any sort of prefab. 
Yeah. I guess a lot of it would be you start to show people options and then they're like, but what about if we did it this way? <laughs> and like everyone just wants something off the books. Like that, that seems to be part of the romance of building your own house half the time. Yeah. Well, exactly. Right. It's, it's mm. your own home, right? That's part of, that's part of the fun. So everything mm. we do is custom. We've never built the same home twice, never mm. renovated the same home twice. Yeah. Wow. Um, so as we start to come to the end of the interview, I'm always keen to make sure people feel like they really know something that they can get started on. And often I find the confusion exists in people not feeling literate enough to outsource wisely. So given we can't all move to Canada and have you build or renovate our house, um, much as that'd be a fun adventure, what are some tips for helping people find a really great home building or renovating partner that you feel, you know, kind of like finding a great doctor where you feel like you're on the same team for your health, not just someone bossing you around and you're in the unknown, hoping it's all going to go okay. How can we feel more empowered in that process? Yeah, I think it's probably the same way you find that doctor. You ask a lot of questions, mm. right? And and I'm not going to pretend that I know everything. I have a lot of clients that say, have you heard of this or have you done this? And I'll say, no, but I'm, I'll look into it. I'm, I'm not going to say that we know everything we've done everything. Uh, Cause there's always going to be something new. Right. And, and uh, I know that we're going to learn every single day. So I think it's asking a lot of questions, not being afraid to ask questions and asking, finding somebody who's okay with that. Right. It's, and then hiring that team, right? So not going for the best price. It's hiring somebody that's going to work with you. When you're doing a major renovation or building a home, it's not like you're just buying a product off the shelf. <laughs> it's a long-term relationship. You have to, you're going to be working with these people for a long time. So you need to find somebody that you're comfortable with. And everything that we do here, I don't know how contractors work. There's a lot of contractors here that do fixed prices. So here's my my word of advice on fixed price contracts is that there's a special, there's two words called change order uh, and <laughs> they always come into play. There's never been a fixed price contract unless it's the same home that they're building over and over again. Uh, I've never heard of a custom home or renovation that didn't have a change order in a fixed price contract, right? So so what the way we operate is we're an open book. We share everything and we have our fees. Here's our labor rates. Here's our markup. And uh, we still do an estimate, but we can only do an estimate once we have enough information. But let's, we'll work with you ahead of time and the architect to make sure that we design within the budget. So I would say find somebody who, who works well, who you can work well with, a team, those three people I mentioned. And also you have to be upfront. You have to give them the information. You can't go shopping for a car or a house or book a vacation if you don't share how much you're willing to spend. You can't go into a car dealership and say, I'm looking for a car. And they say, okay, well, what are you looking for? Uh, I don't know. How much do you have to spend? I don't know. I don't know how much does a car cost, mm, <laughs> right? Yeah. How much do you want it to cost, right? I, yeah. I can get you a car for 30000 I can get you a car for 230000 yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. the same thing with renovations, right? You, you need to be upfront with, okay, this is what we want to do and this is how much we, we spend or, mm. or want to spend or have to spend. And if those two things don't match, well, then you might as well know about it right at the beginning because that's, there's nothing worse than having to, you know, designing your dream and then realizing you can't afford it. Exactly. hundred percent. And, um, and so a couple of specific questions that have come through from our Lotox club members, uh, people still feel really confused about flooring. And I figure what better question to ask you than what did you choose for your floors in your house? Yeah. So like I mentioned, we did the reclaimed pine, mm. uh, in our last house. No, it's not this house, but it was yeah reclaimed pine from the Ottawa river. And then that was most of the house. And in the basement, which was a walkout basement, uh, we did cork flooring. I'm a fan of cork. Uh, it's really durable, actually. We The first time we tried it, we used to have a big Weimaraner and <laughs> never marked it once. Yeah, so wow. uh, it was, yeah, it was durable. That was like my test. Uh, so we did that and it's soft and it's warm. And then we had different tiles. Uh, actually, it was only one bathroom. We, we ran the hardwood and through all the bathrooms except for one. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that, that was, uh, we ended up with, uh, we had porcelain tile in the front entrance and then just cause that's really durable. And then like, uh, 
think it was a terrazzo tile can't remember now oh okay and is that about like traffic factor like foot traffic factor being well that was just in the we did tile yeah so like where people be coming with their boots and then Mm. in the kids bathroom where Mm -hmm. you could splash and do whatever they want yeah gotcha we're like i'm a fan of finding something that's local to where you live if you can and using that Mm -hmm. yeah makes sense Uh, And another question that has, I can just see a whole bunch of questions around home ventilation. So I just want to come back to what you were talking about when renovating and what you actually focus on first, Um, because people might just think, I'm just going to leave my house exactly as it is and install um, an EVAC or or an HVAC. And uh, you mentioned the importance of assessing insulation before you do that and that really being the biggest priority often that you find when you work with houses can i just get you to recap that so we really understand like in the process of making our homes circulate air better we need to look at insulation right insulation and air sealing Air sealing is probably the most important thing to do or to improve because that's what adds to the comfort. If you think about wearing a big winter jacket and it's windy outside and you go, you face the wind and that jacket's unzipped, doesn't matter how warm that jacket is, it's useless. You have to be able to zip it up. So the, the tighter you can zip it up, the warmer you will be, the more comfortable you will be. And that's the same for a house. So when you're thinking of renovating, the first step is like get the energy audit if you want to improve the comfort of your home. But then understand what you're willing to do and tackle it in the right order. Start with the envelope, windows, door, add insulation, and air sealing. If you're not going to do those things, that's fine. You're not going to do them. But if you are planning on doing them, start start with those. So don't, I would say you do your windows first, because then if you add exterior insulation, for example, you can connect it all to your windows and do all of your air sealing from the outside too. Uh, And then you can work inside and start working on your HVAC. Uh, Now, that being said, an ERV or HRV could be installed at any point. That's not going to affect the the home that'll help uh because the size of the home will be what affects the size of the the erv or hrv but the size of the furnace and air conditioner will be affected by the insulation and the air sealing and the windows and doors gotcha and this is why that energy person is so important exactly and i do want to make one more point on that note is there there's three barriers in a home and most people i don't know how you how you build your walls there but there's a weather barrier, there's a vapor barrier, and there's an air barrier. Most people, even people in the industry, don't know the difference between an air barrier and a vapor barrier. And often where we build here, they're the same. They use the six mil poly on the inside as the vapor barrier and the air barrier. But then what happens is that they put all the plugs on the outside wall, they put the switches, they put the drywall on so that your air barrier ends up with all these holes. And they're like, oh, why is my house all leaky? Well, because you punched all these holes through it everywhere. So keep in mind that those two things can be separate. And ideally, you want your air barrier to be continuous, but your vapor barrier does not necessarily need to be sealed continuous. You, you want the vapor barrier, um, but it's a different process. So under, when you work with somebody who understands that, then you can have a better wall assembly. Gotcha. And in terms of insulation, you talked about um, budgets and, and different kind of, you know, often people have a foregone need to go with the petroleum based one what's like the mac daddy no budget issues like what would you insulate with if money was no object so there's really good fiberboard products out there Mm -hmm. so they're made from wood uh, that will resist weather as well so those are probably the best for exterior insulation the on like in between your studs Mm -hmm. there's insulation out there that's made from growing mushrooms apparently i've never tried it um obviously people can build straw bale houses too if they wanted to Uh, that's not (laughs) something that's going to be on the uh, mass production stage at at any point Uh, but that's an option right you can insulate your house with straw if you want once again you got to do it properly and build it properly get people who know what they're doing Um, i think those those would kind of be the best like what we use here in terms of a a good product that's still not like 100% sustainable is rock 
uh, rock wool. So it's a mineral fiber insulation. So it's from rock. So there's less fire retardants. Mold doesn't grow on it and it can't light on fire. So it's naturally fire resistant. Uh, so that's a good product that is way better than fiberglass. Do you use fiberglass insulation there? I think that is one of the options. Yeah, like the, the pink mix. or the yellow yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like mm, that's the, stuff. the worst because like as soon as that gets wet, it loses its R value. Mm. Other insulation won't do that. So it loses its R value and it grows mold. It's useless. Yeah. So uh, you might as well, uh, and you know, there's all sorts of fire retardants in it. So you might as well use a product that's naturally fire retardant. So yes, it is from rock or the slag and stuff. So it's, it's not like the rocks reforming. So it's, once again, it's not the best, but it's a good option for budget conscious people that it's not going to blow the budget out of the water. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that... That sorry, sorry just to add no. that they do they do a soft they do like a, a soft insulation but they also do an exterior insulation for that too that's more of a board so it's a little more dense. Gotcha. And uh, I remember someone asking about earth wool as an insulation. What? How does that stack up? Uh, I don't. I see. There's a product. I don't know, but I'm gonna have to look into there it. There we now. go. Yeah. So. Um, so I can't help you, Brianna, who asked that question <laughs> recently, I'm sorry, but so many good options there to, uh, to explore. Um, now, uh, you mentioned getting all your windows done first and, uh, and we know about like conductivity and, um, and, and material choice and how it might impact uh, the overall insulation of the home. Can you talk to me about your top favorite uh, materials to use to frame a window and what kind of glass, what kind of glazing you recommend? So you're definitely going to want to go triple glazed, um, but you want to make sure it's a real triple glazed in, in that, in the sense that it has enough space between it for the gas. Usually it's argon gas. Uh, you can get windows that have Krypton in them. They'll perform better. And then there's also going to be low E coatings and so forth. And this is where an energy advisor, like if you're going passive, it's really important because the glazing, the coatings and the gas may vary depending on which wall the window is in. So I had different glazings for different, uh, different walls in the house. So that's important. Whereas a lot of window companies just order them. It's the same everywhere. So there's something called a solar heat gain coefficient in a window. So some windows you might want the heat to come in. So you kind of block the sun, but then in the, in the winter, when the sun's lower, you might want that heat from the sun. So you want those windows to have a lower solar heat gain, uh, or sorry, a higher solar heat gain coefficient so that it allows the the heat to come through. Uh, that window won't perform as well when there's no sun, but it does give you that heat in the winter. Uh, so when you're looking at windows, triple glazed, you want to be conscious of the spacers, which is what holds the glass apart. Make sure that those are what's called super spacers. So they're basically rubber. So they're not aluminum conducting heat and cold to transfer right through the frames. And, and then the other part is the frame. So frames could be PVC, they could be fiberglass, they could be insulated, not insulated, they could be wood, they could be aluminum. From a sustainability standpoint, obviously wood is great. Uh, unfortunately, wood windows typically don't last as long and they, they kind of expand and contract and they can stick and you can get aluminum cladded wood windows, but they're extremely expensive. Um, so those sometimes knock it out of the budget for some people, whereas you can get really cost-effective triple glazed windows, PVC frames. They work like that's kind of the go-to for a lot of stuff that we do. So yes, it's plastic, but it's pretty minimal. If that's, if you're limiting some of the plastic in your house, that's a good way to save some money if you need to, and they perform well. Uh, fiberglass in this case, as a, not as opposed to the insulation, like aluminum cladded fiberglass window is that's insulated would be probably one of the best performing windows. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I could ask you questions about every corner <laughs> of the home, but I am conscious that uh, we have been going for quite some time now and so much great information already. Casey, thank you for your time. I really love what you guys are doing uh, up there in Canada and uh, I know it's wonderful to be able to at least access some of the information through the interviews that you do and what you share generously on your website, which we will pop in the show notes so that everybody can hit the Conscious Builder website and do more learning if this is something that is important in your life right now. Uh, I really look forward to sharing this with everybody and thanks again, Casey, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. 
And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at LotoxLife, or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at LotoxLife. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.